This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mary Angela Ferrario. And as I say that, I've got no idea where she is, but Cura, Mary, we- welcome. Hello, welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, I'm in Belfast, in Northern Ireland. You so get about. This is me. Yes, so that, this has been my home for now a year and a half. And what are you doing there? Uh, I work at Queen's University. I'm in the computer science department and I'm an associated professor there. Wow. So last time we spoke, you were still in Lancaster, I think. Yes, I was in Lancaster. Uh, Lancaster was the place I stayed the longest. I think I stayed there around 11 years, which is... Um, Quite a record, actually. Usually I move <laughs> every five years. Although I seem to remember that an, an, an Italian person, you learnt to speak English in Ireland, so it must be a coming home of sorts. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was longing to, again, to come home. Also because I, I lived in south in the south part of Ireland, in Dublin, and then I moved to the northwest cross-border of Ireland, so properly on the cross border, was work- I wasn't working at university at the time. Moved then to Derry, London Derry, hopped to Lancaster for ten years plus, and then moved back. I have friends north and south, so I kind of feel at home. Yeah. So when we first talked, it was right at the start of the lockdown. So it's okay now to look back at that and ask how your bubble life was. How did they? How did the rest of the lockdowns go for you? The bubble moved very fast. That is the one thing I guess every, everybody has noticed. Move very fast with some fewer but much deeper connection with people. Uh, the one thing I remember of the lockdown primarily was how the beautiful host the Lancaster was. Um, I lived near a natural reserve, so that was pretty much my my home. I, I remember more the natural reserve and the walks I did, the occasional bling walks. I can tell you more about them if you're interested with with a couple of friends. But um, so that is my memory, and my, the memory as well of my first ever Christmas on my own and not in Italy, but in Belfast. 
I, I was trying desperately to go to Italy for Christmas. I now I can't remember, it was 2020? Yeah, it was 2020. And I couldn't. And I said, well, at least I'm going to visit my new home because I knew I was moving to, to Belfast then. And I'll try to see a couple of friends there. I was trying to go south. I was trying to go to Dublin because I wanted to see a friend of mine whose brother wasn't well. And um, no, I was stuck in Belfast and it was lovely. It was actually beautiful. It was snowing and was alone, but not lonely, really. So what prompted you to actually move to, to Belfast? Move there for the job? Interesting question, because I had a choice between two jobs at the time. One was back in Italy. I'm from Italy. And, uh, and then one was in Belfast. It wasn't a job. The job was an anchor. I, I guess I, it sounds cliche, doesn't it? Um, it was moving to a land I, I, I found familiar and gave me quite a lot of opportunity when I, uh, when I moved here. I mean, when I moved here, I had no English, no nothing really. And then I really was able to, to develop my career and to develop myself as a person. Um, friends um and in terms of job i was really impressed by uh by the culture that i perceived to be at uh at x yes the school of electronic engineering and uh, computing i'm not saying that well because it's early for me in the morning <laughs> <laughs> but i really like the spirits and the culture and uh of the of the school compared to the spirit of the culture I sensed in Italy in the same department. So that was pretty much what made me make the choice. Let's take your music choice. Let's have John Martin, Fairy Tale Lullaby. Why this one? Oh, yes. I mean, so John Martin, it, it, I mean, it died in 2009, but it is a fabulous extraordinary music it was a fabulous extraordinary musician from uh, from Scotland and then he moved to Ireland and uh, was in a few concerts and what is surprising of that song is that that man was so wild <laughs> was such a wild man and he had the voice of an angel and every time I see that I hear that song it reminds me of the places I've been to Ireland and particularly, I live uh, across um, an overnational uh, national trust reserve, and the top of it there is a fairy ring, and I always go up to the fairies. So it reminds me of my back garden, really, <laughs> which is the forest. If you want to ride a rainbow, come with me, and I'll take you to the magic. Purple sea, maybe we will find a thousand sugar fish. When you eat them, they will grant your every wish. And if you want your friends to come, then bring them all along. If you want to catch a star, then walk my way. I'll take you where the night is always day. You can follow me if you really try. Maybe we will find a rainbow to teach you to fly. 
And if you want your friends to come, then bring them all along. I will take you through the magic dancing wood And I will take you where the goblins are all good I will take you where the elves and pixies do sing And I will take you round the magic fairy ring And if you want your friends to come then bring them all fairy rings behind you have you been out running yes so we i will be up quite i call it my green church is to say (laughs) i up there at least three times per week and usually running um but we had a really cold spell of weather so it was super icy and uh, i didn't go up but it's an extraordinary place, honestly. When next time you come over, you should really see it. So there is a beautiful waterfall and um, ferns that surprisingly are still really green and lush. It's like to be in the tropics. And at the very top, there is this. Um, it's not really a fairy ring. It's a Lisnabrina Force. It's called Lisnabrina Force, but. I went up probably within the week I moved to Belfast. And what I like of that place is the vantage point without being on the top of everything. And I would go up strategizing because you see mountain, around you mountains that are taller than you. And because of that, and I always say, well, these are kind of the big senior people, the people, the directors and so forth. And uh, I would usually come the town that is covered with fog and I say, well, you really need to, to be in touch with both the height and then the bottom to understand and strategize. So that was that is my strategic point as well. That sounds like a place that I shall have to visit. Absolutely. So I how's... everyone up. <laughs> I drag them up. <laughs> so how's the work going? Uh, the work is tough. I mean, it's. Um, I'm very proud of the work that myself and Mara Watson. I teach um, the final year software engineer and final year project. So we have a cohort of seventy students, and between myself and Mara, we're responsible for 
their dissertation and you know like uh, just to 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 do the final year project well and um we arrange it so they have an interim report and they have to have an interim system developed um in week 11 which is was a couple of weeks ago and we really made sure that we would give the feedback uh, in two weeks and before Christmas. I mean, I'm taking holidays uh, because I need to recover from that. <laughs> uh, and we really wanted to give the best of ourselves as, as all kind of, I guess, all, all academics want to give. They want to give the best of themselves and we gave quite a lot of feedback. So the in terms of what I'm teaching is pretty much my team dream team job because uh, I work in a software studio in Lancaster and it was a very small scale and uh, at Queen's in Belfast the scale has really increased and I think we are pretty much myself and Moira at the limit of what we can do with uh, with 70 students really but I really enjoy it and I pair I pair um, the working team and I seek out from uh, both um software industry from software industry research and charities as well live projects that our students can uh, can work on and i'm particularly proud of the work that my students are doing with community groups because they really need to learn things that would they wouldn't be really taught at university is to understand how do proper listening and even like requirements engineering with people who uh, may not know the language and it may come to them and say, well, I just wanted a website, but you really need to dig deeper. <laughs> what does it mean that you have, do you want a website? And our students are really good at. I agree. I ran the capstone projects in our IT degree for 18 years, I think it was, and it was a dream job. It is. I don't want to let it go. <laughs> only two. I'm only two years. So usually you reshuffle a bit, but every year you just make a tweak and change. And uh, yeah, I mean, provided I would like to have more staff with me because only two people is. I would like to have more staff, but more like say with very specific remits, like say for example security, uh, accessibility, just to to have m maybe uh, deep dives for for a week in a particular area. Um, but currently we do not have the capacity to do that. But that would be my dream, just to do deep. I just do myself topic refresh. Uh, but I would like with experts to have deep dives in particular subjects that usually is not taught at university. And are you managing to nudge the projects in the direction of sustainability? Um, very subtly, very subtly. So, uh, I mean, I, every year, I'm just here, they're, they're just one, one year. So sustainability and responsible practice because they really go together. So it started with the choice of project and the people we work with, because usually, I mean, before we're just individual projects, they were a bit like Greenfield project that were given like, just go and develop something. So we brought them in teams, which is difficult as well. Um, I start seeking like projects and I tend to seek project with, um, so say for example, community, that are vulnerable, like uh, 
um, there are charity working with people with um, autism and uh, we did a project on sustainable, sustainable uh, sustainable transport. So the topic area introduce aspect of sustainability. There is an exercise I asked them to do, um, which is consequence scanning pre-mortem and to include their, their finding in their uh, first report and brief. Um, and that is specifically to start thinking on the long term consequences of what they do in terms of environmental impact, societal impact and economic impact, because usually they would have been thinking more to do the commercial opportunity of the stuff they do. So include. So it's a very gentle introducing. But I, I take an in, incremental iterative approach with everything and including, I mean, including with teaching. So one of the things I would hope to introduce then is what I did back in Lancaster. There was a very specific exercise on reflect on, oh, I hate this word, but it, it was around like capturing and measuring the, the profiling, the values orientation of um, of each team. Um, not by the teacher, but themselves, and then use that exercise that they do in teams to to write a value statement at the start of the project brief and have them to go back and check on that every time at each point that is important in terms of the progress of the project. I haven't had I haven't had the guts to do that. Guts is because, because there are, I mean, different university have different culture and different students and different culture. So I noticed that my students perceive that more than at Lancaster and because they have the final year where in Lancaster I was teaching the second year, they feel that any time that is not directed to coding is wasted. And um, so, so you need a bit of preparation and getting a confidence in what you're doing yourself and getting to know your cohort better before you start introducing things that there may be uh, there may be resistance. So I'll probably introduce it next year. And you've got a long background in sustainability, wouldn't you? Didn't you help set up or transition towns in in Ireland and? The yeah. work you have been doing in on the Isle of where is it? The Isle of Tralee? Tyree. 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 And the and then you, yeah, and then you were doing work with autistic people and homeless people and things. So it's it's strong yeah. for you. Oh, that's that's the main reason I'm still here and doing the job I'm doing because uh, I. Um, it's interesting. I gave a talk. Uh, it was a keynote in, uh, in Montreal uh, models, and uh, I I really want to, to do something inspiring. And I said, um, if I have one person inspired, that's my goal, which he achieved. And and this, I started with a story. It was actually a, a real story of me walking with an ecologist, and uh, and start. It started with a reflection on um, uh, trickle-down economics, so I won't get there. But basically, it quickly veered towards the, um, um, a reflection on uh, capstone species and uh, environmental engineers like beavers. And so animals that um, 
have an impact on the wider habitat for the better. So they, the, and removing them from the habitats, um, they cause like a degradation in, uh, um, in the biodiversity of the environment. So, so the key reflection was that. Um, so I use I use the term of uh, um, ecosystem engineer in two ways. The first way you can see software engineer, I, I teach uh, software engineering students as ecosystem engineers because they really design the plumbing uh, across which our communi- the communication and not even communication, our uh, attitude and behavior really just like um, uh, perform uh, in our daily life. But then you could even you, you then you start thinking perhaps the ecosystem engineers are the most vulnerable parts of the community that have been removed. Like say for example, some of the species are being removed and then they 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 removed from the process and uh, their voices have haven't been heard. And for me the the trigger point there was to hear both what um Molly Russell's father, Ian Russell, did to push for um, for the safety build in the UK. I don't know if you heard the story, but basically Molly Russell uh, died um, after an act uh, of self-harm. And it was found that it was a, the court found a direct link between um, her self-harm behavior to the material that was basically was landing on the phone from from Instagram. And the father really worked super hard for a campaign on to protect the for child protection. Similarly, and I don't know how it's going on. There, there is a Gonzalez case um, in the US where the family of the only US victim in the um, in the Paris shooting uh, brought Google to court on the account that now I I might just like uh, trip my tongue a bit, but basically there is um, legally. Um, information providers are protected because user content is not under their responsibility. But the Gonzalez family is questioning the fact that, okay, so user generated content is not your responsibility. But what about uh, algorithm promoted content? So that is your responsibility. So if that case wins, the, the change can be in the business case can be massive. And again, is a part of the vulnerable society that just really went deep into the architecture of the business case, which is then you ultimately uh, shape the the technical infrastructure. Do you remember a talk that I think you were at in Toronto from the architect of the Environment Centre building, the one that Steve Easterbrook now works in, and it was a, mm. built as a regenerative building. And when they were designing it, they had to flip on their heads all of the things that they thought about sustainability because the building improves the environment around it. So they exactly. so all you of the signs be- all of the signs that they were going to put out saying, you know, save water, actually use more water because we're improving the water. That's it. So, so that's one of the things about sustainability and linked to the talk I had is because even in my head, there is more a shift toward 
a regenerative uh, regeneration uh, and which comes from uh, it's a bit fashionable in agriculture about re regeneration agriculture where you take stock that damage has been done in agriculture the soil has been impoverished so it's not even matter of sustaining but is it yeah, it, but it's bringing in sustainable practices geared towards the regeneration of of land. So it's not that you're really departing from sustainability, but you really see in the context that has been damaged and you really need to uh, to intervene. And equally around the need to use more water or even more energy was at the core of the work we did in, in the Hebrides, like when we were looking at, um, at um, renewable energy, the, the, the island had Tilly, there was um, a, um, a community wind turbine that notionally was able to, to produce enough electricity to, to power the entire island. But one of the things that became apparent is that uh, there was there was at the time quite a lot of focus on, first of all, having people to reduce the, the consumption of energy to support, basically to support a sustainable use of energy. But we found that the message wasn't was psychologically hard to say assume less and also technically not always required particularly when it comes to renewable energy that comes in peak and trough so there are times that the grid is under pressure because there is excess of energy being produced by the wind and the solar so with the community on the hybrids we we discuss way of how could we possibly make use of uh, the excess of energy when there is a glut. And some of the ideas were phenomenal, like say, for example, they wanted to heat up like um, a community swimming pool and uh, and um, yeah, so uh, and then they want and what we did with them was um, was was an app was a system where we could predict energy production like down in production of tilly uh, up to three, four days. And they were using it as a guidance on uh, uh, when was for them most suitable uh, and greener to, um, uh, to put on the washing or something like that. And this concept has picked up considerably, particularly in, uh, uh, in, in green computing for, um, I, particularly in cloud and platform computing, there are some complex algorithms that try to decide where it's best to do computation-intensive tasks, depending on uh, whether um, a data center is using um, renewable or not. So it's been a, a look into that as well. The reason I stuck out computing for so long, and I suspect why you're still in computing, is that computing does have such a massive impact. Yeah negative impact and potential positive impact. Yet, as you say, those students of yours that think that any time not coding is a distraction, that they, they, they would see as, an, as, a, as a distraction talking about values. And now we're talking about things like regeneration, we're working on decolonization. What has to change in how we do education of computer scientists, computer technicians, whatever 
um, form their profession takes to realize that that stuff is actually like the prerequisite not a distraction mm, yeah so first of all what i mentioned it was a bit of a brush broad brush i mean uh, not all the students have that attitude so i was just saying there is a general sense and gosh one of the things we should i mean particularly in uk the assessment should be changed because that that kind of um there is an anxiety uh, an expectation that you have to work because ultimately in software engineering they work on a final year project and you have to demonstrate that you produce some working software i mean you can't really get away from that particularly it's a final year project uh, but we started looking at how and we are quite behind i mean because i know what steve easterbrook did oh my god it probably was like in 2008 2009 they introduced sustainability 101 as a part of the computing curriculum where you really start from year one to to make sure that there is not only an appreciation you will have to move from being familiar with a concept to to start thinking they well I cannot think without that frame of mind now. So you, I think it's a, to answer your question has to be an incremental iterative uh, approach into which from year one, you really say, well, you familiarize with the concept because you need that in order to solve this problem. So it's really baking it into the solving problem process that is so key for computing i need to play another music track i'm going to play tamuri spicer who i first met or first heard playing at our graduation ceremony just before christmas and i think he is awesome and has got a big view Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more temperate in every single way. Your rose would smell as sweet with any other name. But I got a name for ya. It says summer is here again, and I'm putting down heat in your forest, baby. Yeah, I'm a light in the tender. Of a blossoming red heart love Cause you got me barking man Right up the tree But you've no idea what you're doing to me You make me so gay that I say the same But the word who are The Pohutu Kawa The Pohutu Kawa The Pohutu Kawa Shall I compare thee to our summer heat? You lay back towels in the sand and cooler than the breeze. The sun's got fine, not a cloud in the sky, but you make me hotter. hotter, oh, you've got some competition. I'm surfing the waves of your euphoria, baby. I'm digging you out of the pits Like you're a holiday honey Cause you got me up and down Round and round And pants and like A big black hound You make me so gay that 
Forest of Orokanui, the goddess Tahu Mackenzie. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for us all the last several years have been very tough we find ourselves now in need of support and recovery of compassion and understanding and to give ourselves and each other the time and the space that we need to recalibrate and find ourselves regaining that strength and that vision to navigate this new consensus reality. And here we are together. How exciting in 2023, this beautiful, beautiful new year, this beautiful new year full of infinite possibility, this beautiful new year filled with the potential of our dreams actualizing filled with the potential of our actions forming new worlds how exciting and how wonderful we can experience it together i'm so grateful and of course for me this show has been a guiding light and a constant in my life when so many other aspects have shifted and changed around me as i'm sure they have for us all so a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. I'm so grateful to be part of this exploration with you all. And of course, this show is so hugely inspiring as we have traveled around the world hearing the stories of so many different beautiful, beautiful hearts. And it's been a great 
pleasure and a great privilege to be able to really listen to these beautiful voices, these beautiful stories, and glean from them so many precious pearls that really remind us of who we are. That as a species, we are so creative, we are so innately inventive, and we are always inspired by the world around us and the world within us and the interplay between the two that beautiful manahitaka and reciprocity that is present in all life throughout time and space forever and of course that infinite web guides us and joins us at every moment to one another and to all lives that will ever be lived and of course this whole new year stretching out before us we can do really whatever we like with it within our own beautiful inner landscape, inner consciousness. It's wonderful that we have that inner realm that is completely within our own domain of creativity and control. That we can really enjoy adorning and venturing forth in the ways that nourish us. And from this place of inner radiance we can of course share with the world around us the world outside us so i really hope for you whatever you have in mind each day each new day that greets you in 2023 they really reflect back to you all your myriad skills and gifts and talents and insights and the people that you meet and the songs that you hear songs that you sing, the songs that you dance to, the sound of the wind and the sea and the birds, every sound that you hear reminds you of the richness of your outer and inner landscape that is yours to enjoy and yours to relish, yours to explore and yours to share if you choose to. So beautiful. Thank you again for having me and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Happy 2023. Ka kite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Mary Angela Ferrario. It is the first day of the new year. It's a time for thinking positive and making plans. What's your big plan for the year? Oh, I never plan. I never plan. You're, full of, you're full of grand visions. I have a roadmap. Okay, so um, I have... Um, so the first thing I'm doing today on um, the first year is to go up the glen. So to go up <laughs> Lisna Brini Forest and uh, and then strategize a bit. I mean, the reason why I say that I don't plan the roadmap is it's been different in the past few years, honestly, because I used to have like some key milestones set for the year. What I find now um, that it's more difficult to do so because the environment has become so volatile and unpredictable. So probably that is why I kind of, I kind of stop. I mean, I know what, I, I kind of, I'm in a place where I know who I am and what my values are. And it's it's a little bit like Herman Esser, you know, and I'm a little bit less interested in what I'm doing because it's quite difficult to pan out. And 
I think I got to the stage of extreme flexibility <laughs> in the sense that I know what I do not want to do. Uh, I'm okay. I mean, I just moved to Belfast. I think I have over a couple of years here. I still want to um, to teach my students um to be with my students and work with them in uh, and prepare. I actually in preparing them for exponential type of problems. Like, and this is not my expression. And now I apologize because I can't remember um, the the academic that actually came up with the expression. I mean, I look at them and they are less than half of my age, and uh, I say, you are going to be encountering problems that I. I hope I never encounter, quite frankly, because things are moving so fast. So, so that, so if there there is a vision more than a plan, is to uh, to grow up with them and develop uh, a a deeper understanding of what the next fifty years are going to to hold for the future. I'll probably I'll very unlikely be alive in 50 years time. But you know, like uh, my my student will. And how, so do we, the seed. Mm. how do we prepare them for that that volatile future? We're big fans of the, the VUCA um, world concept, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, that we're never going to return to a business as usual. It's this this is this notion of continual change is is what we've got. How do we prepare people for that? How do we how do we encourage them to have a positive mindset when, as you say, it is does become difficult to plan? Okay, so here is where I fall because um, because currently, I mean, I, I I've been so sucked into the tactic, the operation of running my program, and I know that my student and the staff of um, I mean and the school wants to give students certainty like that's what they want because they want to have the certainty they are going to finish their degree uh, they want to have the certainty they have a, a type of grade so it's really the current way of teaching is is quite regimented I tend to resist and uh, I really tend to encourage um, throwing at my student a couple of core balls and just make sure that in the, in the way I assess things, I, I do not penalize them for, for, for not delivering what they want to deliver, but to have to take a step back. So in my, in my small environment, like in my, my small reach with my student, that is what I do. I try to, to throw a couple of unpredictable questions or it's like curveball, but making sure that is not going to, it's going to disrupt, but it's not going to banalize them. The, the, the one thing I, um, I'm responsible for, and I started last year, I'm responsible for a cluster of 40 staff. Uh, they are on the education pathway, so they, they do not uh, they do not have to um, to produce research in terms of discipline specific research, but they need to work on scholarship, so pedagogically focused um, work. And um, so 
I've been quite excited about that community because it was not a community. I mean, it was much smaller before the pandemic. I think uh, there was just a, an initial cluster of 12 people and then it ballooned over the, the past few years. So there is no sense of community. So if there is something that I uh, have a roadmap and a strategy for is for this cluster and start really tease out, particularly there is there is an appetite within the cluster for um, respect for equality, equal opportunity, and as well, responsible practices, sustainable practice in computing. So there is a number of uh, staff that is really passionate about that and you wouldn't know their names because they haven't been publishing in discipline specific area and I think they're just emerging in terms of scholars and that is so I'm shifting my focus yes I have my students but now my focus starts shifting on staff and the community That's of that, staff as well. Mm. That sounds like a good way of making change because mm. mm. they're, they're they're going to tell a lot more than you can speak to. I have some questions to end the show and not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? I brought, I brought a, a little um, blabbered black, back to life. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, no, honestly, Kevin. I gave him a, a name, Kevin. Um <laughs> It was, uh, it was, I just found, it was on the Saturday before Easter and I found it pretty much really cold. Uh, it was just a little fledgling outside my door and I look around for help. I need, I start crying uh, because I wanted, I didn't know whether to dispose him. I didn't want to hold the death in my hand, but then something possessed me. I'm picking up and I put it against my heart and the warmth must have helped him. My heart was pumping. And then I start feeding him. I was taught how to feed little birds. I put in the uh, two cats, so I had to put in the spare room. And then it's not that I taught him to fly, but he was flying from uh, from chair to chair. And then I cycled with him in my backpack to um, a natural reserve where it was released. So, yes, it was Kevin. <laughs> my biggest success was Kevin. I'll send you a picture of Kevin. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're in that team. What's your superpower? I have a bit of a bottomless energy. <laughs> I don't know whether it's a good thing or not, but uh, if if I find something, I, I get passionate about stuff I can do with people. I don't get passionate about stuff I can do on my own. And that energy then ignite, I tend to, to ignite interest. Um, about that thing we can do together and and usually happens it doesn't always happen but is that having the passion of doing stuff together and then somehow i i find an energy to keep going and see that done do you consider yourself to be an activist oh yes i'm very shadowy in my way being an activist i i don't know i i wouldn't I speak up and even in situation where 
I know I'm in minority and there are people more senior than me. I speak up if things are not quite right or I don't feel that quite right. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Mama and Ziggy, they cry. <laughs> Mama and Ziggy are my two cats. No, what motive? I don't know. It's um, there is something about the morning. I always, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky because I'm happy just to see the light. And um, youth motivates me. So there were different things that motivated me in the past, but just knowing that, I mean. Again, if I can inspire one of my students every year, that's enough. I mean, they'd make a change. What's that picture on the wall behind you? Oh, that is a Freedom to Read Week that I picked it up when I was in Toronto. And uh, there is a little fellow reading a book and holding, holding his um, shield against the big dragon, which is censorship. Oh, and I absolutely love the fact that the, the little fellow doesn't even look at the dragon. He's not scared of the list. It's just reading a book and gets in power. <laughs> so what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you are looking forward to in the next year or so? For me, the biggest challenge is to have trust in academia. It's, uh, I, I, start, I, I find it quite difficult academia has changed massively in the past 10 years and particularly in the UK and uh, you go into academia with a reason it usually is intellectual freedom try really just passionate about working with the next generation of the world and then you are confronted with an industry now that um kind of darkens that passion and enthusiasm. So that is my biggest challenge and also biggest opportunity, as I said. I mean, I, I mean, Queen's University has a quite high staff-student ratio in the sense we have around 35, 37 students per staff. It's pretty high if you consider it. Usually it's a dozen, particularly Lancaster was a dozen per, per staff. And then... Again, I'm working with a cluster of 40 staff. It's a lot. So that is a challenge, but it's a massive opportunity. You're working at volume. Mm-hmm. And having, yeah, working at volume with big responsibility. And for me, responsibility is a challenge, but it's an opportunity you just grab with all your hands. And one of those students goes on to be able to make a decision that changes something in a computing system that changes how everybody does something. The potential leverage yeah. is huge. Yeah, but I mean, you know, like in conversation with PhD students, I mean, I had a PhD student who who did a PhD, uh, Fahad, he did a PhD um, on uh, agile, uh, factor of agile adoption in Saudi Arabia. And um, I brought to the fore, I mean, because Agile is based on values that are quintessentially Western. And I mean, this thesis was around uh, Saudi Arabia sees uh, software industry as a key industry to diversify from oil. And uh, so it was looking at Agile as a practice that actually um, improves like delivery. And it was he wrote some really 
candid and to the point um, reflection on why certain certain values that's um, that are characteristic of South Arabia um, they are not amenable to, to to the adoption of agile. That per se, it, I'm not saying that everybody should adopt in Western view of the world because that agile is what it is. They were just white men that went skiing and they came up with the principle. But at the same time, there are aspects of um, hierarchy and uh, that even like consideration of gender that he documented and they put it in and it's back, it's back teaching in South Arabia, it's a lecture now there. And uh, his mentality, even the fact that he was working with me, I mean, we had, he changed me and I think he, he learned stuff from me as well. Yeah, sometimes we make impact in, in ways that we're not expecting to. Last question, do you have any advice for our listeners? Where are you listeners based? They're all around the world. Lots in Dunedin, but all around the world. <laughs> oh, again, super cliche about being kind to yourself. But if you really think about what that means, is one of the hardest things to do. Um, accept, accept you're not forever. Accept that um, it's not even that you're not perfect, but you're not as good as you wish you to be. <laughs> it's quite difficult there is that inner voice that is quite um, painful to hear so don't listen to that listen to the birds we shall go and listen to the birds thank you very much for joining me thank you You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. 
brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Tipukanga Otago. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Mungo Jerry, Summertime. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay Dunedin, and I have been joined from Belfast by Mariangela Ferrario. On this New Year's Day, you've been listening to Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. When the sun goes down, you can make it, make it good and live by. When I get people, when I dirty, when I mean, we love everybody, but we do as we please. When the weather's fine, we go fishing or go sailing in the sea. We're always happy, last we're living, yeah, that's our philosophy. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.